Words of Hope. Father Dominic Fall on the Resurrection. Joy of the Resurrection, which is a very hidden joy, probably only lived really by Our Lady and maybe John besides her. And even John, John started to really, really believe when running to the tomb because of the request of Mary Magdalene, he finally believed. But again, a very hidden manifestation of the victory of Christ. Uh, the resurrection is first of all for Christ and the Father and for Mary. And in the same time, we should remember that we were created in order to be glorified, body and soul. God didn't choose as a creator and father to bond together a spirit, which is totally light, to matter, which is darkness, which is obscure at least, if he didn't have in the same time the intention to transform in a radical way this matter, which is dark, into light, and therefore to perfectly cooperate with the beauty, the splendor, in a certain way, of a human soul glorified. So we were created for a total glorification, body and soul. We should never forget it. And of course, we don't know how a glorified body looks like. Eh? The different apparitions of Christ or the different apparitions of Our Lady don't show us a glorified body. Uh, Our Lady appears sometimes as a young woman, sometimes as a young Indian, Mexican, meaning that we have to accept the fact that until we are glorified ourselves, we won't be able to see this mystery of extreme light, of splendid light, that is a glorified body, which also should help us better see this extreme transformation that takes place from this pilgrimage on earth to glory. Um, on earth, we need our body in order to know. We know through our senses. And there we lose a lot, lot of information because we learn from outside. And that's realism. While in glory, it will be the opposite. In glory, we will be spiritually possessed by the Word of God. And therefore, the light will not come from outside, but from within. And our glorious body, we will be like Him because we will see as He sees us. We will see Him face to face. Our glorified body will be shining giving like a new splendor to this light that we receive from the Word of God, from within. The different teachings on the Gospel of St. John, and especially the prologue, 
the whole prologue shows us how the word light from light in the Holy Trinity is constantly in different steps, source of light for us is first of all the light of the intelligence, then he's the light of faith for us, and finally the light of glory. We have been created from the light and for the light. And of course, to be stuck in matter does not really help. But nevertheless, it is a unique chance to grow. We have a body which is limited, which prevents what is spiritual in us to be totally actualized in order to be able to multiply the choices of love that we make and to multiply the choices to go deeper and deeper in the truth. If we were a pure spirit, there would be no growth in us. So we have to use this time on earth to grow as much as we can, to search for the truth endlessly, and together with it, to put all this truth that we receive at the service of loving more and loving better. That's for us. And then when we die, we die with this maximum capacity to love in truth that we have developed. Of course, in the case of Christ, there was no growth. But I wanted to say that in order to see that the relationship between the body and the soul on earth is very different from the one in heaven. In heaven, the body manifests the light of the soul, the light of glory. Why on earth? The soul needs to receive certain information, certain lights from outside. Going back to the resurrection of Christ himself again, it takes place in a very hidden way and not at all in a way of power. Well, power, sure, the power of the Creator was all present, but it's not at the service of power. Uh, it's a resurrection which is coming from love and at the service of love. It is the love of the Father for the Son, giving him the authority to resurrect himself. I offer my life as the Father commands me, and I do it freely. And the Father has given me authority to give my life and to take it up again. So it's really Christ who has an authority to die. He chooses to die when... It was the right time for him. And, and Jesus has the same authority to give his life out of love and to resurrect himself with all the power that he shares with the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of love and it's a resurrection in love also. Which is important because the power of the Creator there is totally hidden behind an extreme intensity of love. The resurrection, again, is, is the victory of love manifested in the whole humanity of Christ. Well, it is totally hidden at the cross. And because of such an intensity, it has to be hidden. Uh, we know very well that when love is not extremely intense, we can speak, we can use gestures, and we have seen that when we look at the end of Christ on the cross. Uh, and when love becomes extremely intense, words and gestures are too limited, it has to be totally silent, and in a certain way totally hidden. 
This resurrection is also, first of all, for Our Lady. It is a gift of love to Christ, and it is a gift of love of Christ to his mother. And Jesus rises from the dead, first of all, for his mother. What is interesting also is that, therefore, Christ didn't choose to make of the resurrection a grand manifestation of his power. No. The cross was enough to manifest all the love that he had and all the love that the Father had for him and for the whole of mankind. And Jesus didn't need to add anything at the level of the power because, that first of all, that was not his mission. Second, the, the creation itself manifests all the power of the Creator. And third, eternal life is to know, when to know, but in a way of intimacy, to enter in the life of love, not in the life of power, that the Father shares with His Son and with the Holy Spirit. So it's a resurrection which uses all the power of God, but in a certain way hides it so that it can be perfectly manifesting and at the service of this intensity of love. It takes place at night, nobody is there, uh, therefore it's obviously not a very efficient means for apostles who would be looking for efficiency. Christ could have been risen from the dead on the cross just after breathing his last, and that would have been the clear sign of his divinity, of his truth, in a certain way, forcing people, or forcing the Jews, and maybe forcing us at the end, to receive him. But that would have been totally against this life of love that he offers to us, demanding an absolute respect of our freedom, and at the image of the life that is the life of the Holy Trinity. So what is left for us is first of all an empty tomb. That's a sign of the resurrection. And it's impressive to see that as soon as the elders of the Jews know about the empty tomb, immediately they want to build up a lie. Because it's... A it's such a clear sign for them. And that's impressive. Huh? They've recognized that there's something there. Uh, they don't even try to know who has taken the body. Huh? They just tell the soldiers, say, in case people ask you, say that, okay, somebody has stolen it. And it's so impressive to see that immediately they choose, instead of bowing down in front of a fact, they choose to build up a lie. They cannot accept this light that is offered to them. The emptiness of the tomb is for them a clear sign and should be for us the clear sign. That's the main sign of the resurrection. After that, Jesus will appear. We will see that because, yeah, because it was so hard for the first disciples to believe and therefore because of their lack of faith. But the light of faith given to them should have been enough for them to recognize 
in the resurrection, or rather in the empty tomb, a new presence of Christ. And in fact, if we have time, we will see that all the different apparitions of Jesus manifest different presences of Christ glorified. And of course, it's a totally new presence. Uh, Christ, before leaving them in order to bring them peace and joy, told them, I will always be with you. Uh, but again, it's a totally new presence. And there, I just want to say quickly a few words, uh, the different type of presences, especially for us today. The different types of presences of Christ. There's a, what we call the omnipresence, the presence of the Creator. And God is always present to us as a creator. And you're present to somebody when you act on this person. So the presence of the creator is always there. Otherwise, we couldn't continue to exist. Then there is the sanctifying presence, which is a presence where God acts in us by sharing his life. Not only giving us being and maintaining us in existence, but by giving us a new life, divine life. And obviously, this one is the main one. Eh? And then there is the sacramental presence, which we know now is not offered in the same way, at least. Eh? The sacramental presence, which we have essentially in the Eucharist, which is at the service of the sanctifying presence. Eh? It is an essential one. Even if it's only a means for an end, nevertheless, it's an essential means wanted by Christ. It manifests that in this presence where God and Christ give us all, because in sharing their life, their life of life and of love, they share all, share all that they are. God has chosen to come to our level, to adapt himself to us. And the sacramental presence is really a manifestation of this incredible adaptation that God chooses to use in order to be as close as possible to us. And the one who is infinite, but also you remember in the Old Testament, no one was allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant without dying. No one could see God without dying, and everybody has to bow down when the Shekinah would come into the temple. So this transcendence of God, which has chosen to adapt itself to us in order to be the closest possible, and that's really the sacramental presence, which is such uh, a necessity, uh, which is at the level of superabundance, but nevertheless such a necessity of the manifestation of the love that God has for us. God chooses to be the closest possible in a radical kenosis, from taking a human nature to dying on the cross and finally becoming like a piece of bread, a food that we can assimilate, and this radical, radical kenosis where God chooses to be lower, as low as possible in order for this transcendence to come to our own level. Now, the resurrection, again, leaves us, therefore, first of all, in accepting that it will be a new presence of the humanity of Christ. For the Twelve, Jesus in his humanity was present through an exteriority. 
which was received obviously differently by different uh, people according to their sensitivity, according to their intelligence. But nevertheless, the presence that he was offering before his death and glorification was a universal presence. They were all seeing the same man. They were all listening to the same teaching. And there was something extremely universal. And of course, love can never be satisfied by a universal presence. That's why the glorification of Christ, in this intention to be as present as possible to us, was a necessity. Because being glorified body and soul, Christ can dwell in us. And therefore, it will be now, and it is now, a presence from within. We become the temple of God, temple of Christ. Christ has chosen to dwell in us, which is the way this grace is going to be given to us. Jesus will dwell in us in a way that is totally unique, thanks to this glorification of himself, body and soul. And that's why, yes, it is good for you that I live, not only because I will give you the Holy Spirit, but I will come to you and plant my tent in you. I will dwell in you. So then it's a presence which is eminently personal. Christ can adapt himself to each one of us from within. It's not anymore a teaching which is given from outside, but it's now the word of God from within us, still imperfectly on earth. It will be perfect when we are in heaven and when the word of God possesses us, literally. But already, the word of God, Christ in his humanity, in his divinity, is acting in us from within. And therefore, obviously, in a type of adaptation which is eminently personal. Remember, in the Old Testament, the manna, which apparently was the same for everybody, had a different taste for each one, which was really a prefiguration of this gift of Christ, giving himself as the new manna, that's the sacramental dimension, at the service of a very, very personal presence to each one of us. And of course, then we have to learn how to live of Christ glorified. Sometimes we would prefer that he stays outside and leave us in peace because we have to accept that the rhythm of life of Christ is not at all our rhythm of life. It was already difficult for the twelve to follow Christ. Sometimes they would fall asleep while Christ wanted to pray. But it's even worse now. Now there's no day and night for Christ, so he's praying all day long and all night long for us and demanding, if needed, that we stay with him and watch with him day and night. Okay, it's a stupid example, but what I mean is that it is an incredible dignity to welcome Christ in us, to welcome Christ leading us and giving us already this foretaste of the life of glory. But this life of glory, even if it is only received as a foretaste, St. Paul will say that it's a race. 
the rhythm is totally different and demands that yes we develop a totally new prudence a new uh, a new way of living and that will be the role of the spirit and jesus is in us glorified constantly sending us his spirit so that we can adjust our life to his life eh? not to his life in nazareth or in bethlehem but his life in glory if it was nazareth and bethlehem that would be easy we would all go there and manage one way or the other to live properly. While now, it's, no, the Holy Spirit is there so that we learn living like glorified, which we are not, obviously. We see also, and that's interesting, uh, that the, obviously uh, the resurrection of Christ was the main, main, main rock proclaimed by the early church in its kerygma. Uh, you see that in the Acts of the Apostles. When they proclaim Christ who was put to death by the Jews indirectly, nevertheless, and is now alive, it's clear that they don't speak of the resurrection of Lazarus. They speak of another type of life, another type of resurrection, and immediately this new life of Christ resurrected is immediately connected to him sitting at the right side of the Father, which is the vision of Stephen before his martyrdom. So with the resurrection, Christ is not of this world anymore. We don't have to wait for the ascension. Christ, after his resurrection, is not anymore of our world, of our earth. He is now in the Father, body and soul. His divinity has never left the Father, and now his humanity is glorified in the Holy Trinity. And when he appears, it's not a sign that he's still around. It is the sign that he chooses to manifest that the only way to find him, what he will say to Mary Magdalene, is to find him in the Father. Stop holding on to me, tell my brothers that I have to return to my father and that's where they will find me I'm not going to speak about it today but which means that the ascension is not a sign that suddenly Christ is still among us and the ascension is to manifest that in his return to the father body and soul Christ attracts the whole of his mystical body we are all now in the same movement and that's not easy again we are now quasi-possessed, we are not possessed because we are free, but we are now accepting that somebody dwells in us who is constantly submitting us to the attraction of the Father on him and therefore through him on us. Which means that the resurrection when Christ offers to come and dwell in us, it should change our life in a very radical way. Because we cannot, you know, be the dwelling of somebody who is totally turned towards the Father while we still choose to live according to the rhythm of the world. Then we will be constantly limping. And that's unfortunately the case of all of us unless we have really chosen to search and to open ourselves and to the desire and through a deep obedience to search for the ways 
of Christ for us, the will of God, the ways of Christ for each one of us. So the resurrection, therefore, gives its all finality to the whole of the creation. Something that was a little bit developed but okay, by a French theologian in the early 20th century, huh? Teilhard de Chardin. Okay, in ways which were at that time not well received by the church, but clearly, uh, what Saint Thomas asked himself, would God have created a universe which would be purely matter? He says, no. God has created matter at the service of the human person. And therefore, in order to form a human body which would serve the growth of a human spirit and which would allow a human spirit to perfectly glorify God through the mystery of fruitfulness. And of course, ultimately, the whole of the universe, uh, groaning for its redemption, the whole of the universe now is ordered, has found its real finality. Before the resurrection of Christ, the universe was, and matter, was groaning without knowing where, not knowing its finality. Now it knows. Father, can you repeat that you said God gives matter, did you say for the service of the human person? Yeah, yeah. All that exists at the material level is at the service of the human spirit and therefore the human person. That's why God can give to Adam and Eve this authority on the whole of the creation. Because everything in the creation was to be at the service of the human person. But we know how much we've, we see that in the book of Revelation, how much man, instead of using properly the creation at the service of his contemplative life of love and truth, has ended up dominating the creation for its own pleasure or its own power. Therefore, we have totally misused the creation. Yeah. So, finally, when the body of Christ is glorified, when the humanity of Christ is glorified, the whole of the universe finds its real finality. Everything in the universe is for the glorious body of Christ. First of all, for the human person, ultimately for the human nature of Christ, the most perfect man, and ultimately for the most perfect man glorified, which is the humanity of Christ, Christ resurrected in glory. Which gives again, as always, when the finality is clear, then there's a certain acceleration. Huh? Until you know Precisely where you go, you don't need to speed up. When you see clearly where you have to go, then you speed up, because everything is clear. And since the resurrection, yes, in a certain way, everything has speeded up in humanity. Everything has speeded up in the creation. Uh, and as always, when uh, there is uh, a greater movement towards the good, there will be always greater attacks from the evil one who cannot stand because he sees clearly what we guess, but he sees, uh, the devil sees clearly that his desire to have a power on the creation, uh, transform those stones into bread, that's a dream of the devil, 
the devil would like to have a power on the creation, on matter, sees that everything is escaping him more and more quickly, and he has in front of him the visible sign that he has lost his power, his domination on matter, in the glorious body of Christ and of Our Lady. So there's definitely, after the resurrection, even more anger in the devil. Uh, and we see that again with the elders who want to build up a lie in order to hide the resurrection. And the table anger, a table um, insecurity, if we can say so. The devil knows more and more clearly that he has totally lost the battle and even nearly the war now. So we shouldn't be surprised what St. Thomas says, eh? after the cross, and in fact after the resurrection, there's much more suffering and trials in the world than before. And we see that in the book of Revelation. Eh? The devil knows clearly now that his days are counted, and that the days of his power are definitely counted. Then from there, how do we live of this mystery? Eh? How do we live of this presence? How do we live also of this presence which puts us on one hand in a rhythm of life which is not connatural to us, if we really want to be attentive to his presence in us, and which puts us also in the same time at the heart of a battle which is much stronger. And yes, we see that in the Apocalypse, huh? we see that when the battle is extremely fierce, there are two major helps that can be given, and which are obviously fought against by the devil. Uh, uh, one is the Eucharist in a renewed way, and the other one is Our Lady, given again in a, in a renewed way, in a deeper way. And we see in the Apocalypse that both, in different ways, are attacked by the beast. And that's interesting to see that the Eucharist is this radical help, obviously, because it gives us from within the rhythm of Christ. We receive the body, the soul, the divinity, we receive the heart of Jesus as a food, which can only be a unique divine help for us to change our rhythm of life. But, okay, it might be that this presence and this help might not be given for a time, and we see that in the Apocalypse, uh, a time and half a time. And, and, and then there's the presence of the woman again. Uh, Our Lady is the one who lived the most of the resurrection. And she lived of the resurrection in a purely interior way. Uh, when Mary Magdalene ran from the tomb to tell John and Peter that the tomb is empty. Both of them run to the tomb and she doesn't go with them because she lives totally of the mystery. And, and the Eucharist, which is an incredible gift, obviously, that we should always desire, implies still a certain exteriority for us, the exteriority of a sacrament, where again God adapts himself to our need of exteriority. While the leadership and the role of Our Lady, the maternal role of Our Lady, will be absolutely from within, and therefore even more adapted to us, in the sense that 
She's the one who knows the best the humanity of Christ because she's source of it. She's the one who is the most in tune with the glorious humanity of Christ because she's glorified also. And therefore, she's the one who can best educate us with the Holy Spirit from within to live of this new presence with the new vision. So we have said that several times during this week uh, from what seems to be difficult uh, there should always be a greater good. Uh, and I really believe that when there is such a difficulty at the level of a sacramental presence, it should be at the service of a much, much greater presence of Our Lady. In a certain way, a maternal presence which can even guide us in a more personal, in a more subtle way, we all receive the same Eucharist, while the maternal presence of Our Lady is different, unique for each one of us. And she's the one who can definitely best help us live of this new rhythm of life of Christ glorified in us in the same poverty as her poverty, in the same obedience as her obedience, in the same docility. So, uh, when the Church becomes more and more under attack, and the answer is always Our Lady, in the sense of we should choose again and again to choose her as a mother, and really in a very radical way. Uh, not a devotional way, not simply a mild mystery in a somehow contemplative way, but really choose to depend on her, absolutely speaking, so that she can help us not diminish, not lose the benefit of this presence of Christ glorified in us.
if you have a few minutes of questions. No? Yeah? You don't need to have questions, huh? I have a question. I have a question about Mary. One yeah. of the things that actually bothered me back in my Protestant days mm-hmm. was, um, of course, we didn't believe in tradition. You know, in Scripture, it's so silent about who Christ appeared to. Well, he's not silent because he appeared to Mary Magdalene, but right. it bothered me, especially after I'd become a mother, mm. why he wouldn't have personally appeared to his own mother and why he didn't take her with him since obviously Joseph wasn't around anymore by that time. Mm-hmm. Yes, maybe he had a new mission. And she had a new mission that we see clearly lived at Pentecost. She was to remain in order to be the one attracting the fire of the Holy Spirit for all. She had to remain with this huge capacity of desire that was the heart of Mary, who, as you said, should have followed Christ and was left in the desert of this world surrounded by sinners and and, uh, very poor believers and therefore she was a huge presence of desire attracting the Holy Spirit that was her mission from the Catholic point of view all of those apostles become her sons as we all become her children right right that gift from the cross yeah and we become her sons or children because she received the Holy Spirit on behalf of all of us, and therefore she is really the channel of life for each one of us. And that's really what the motherhood is. Okay. Yeah. So since the resurrection, and this was the other thing, you have emphasized quite a bit in so many of your meditations that giving oneself completely and totally to the heart of Christ and to his mother so we can come to that point of adoration of the Father. So do we, when you talk about being transfigured in our glory from within and looking at some of the lives of the saints, so the resurrection actually of the Holy Spirit who comes 50 days later, Mm. We are to start the transfiguration process now. Yeah, it's not a transfiguration of our body. It's a transfiguration of our way of life in the sense that when the Holy Spirit moves us from within, he gives us new desires. He gives us a new new fruitfulness. He gives us a new joy. So everything is renewed. Uh, The source is Christ, but... Practically speaking, in us, by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So, if we understood that clearly, uh, we should be constantly trying to find better ways, which sometimes demands to just wait in hope, eh? doesn't mean to be constantly hyperactive, but better ways to be more docile to this rhythm of life given to us, by the Holy Spirit, and which is different for each one of us. You see that in, in all the sense. Each one manifests more or less certain different docility to the Holy Spirit, and therefore to different gifts, and therefore different beatitudes. So that's what you were referring to, uh, pre- previous thing when you mentioned 
for example, um, confession and how maybe the emphasis needs to be reflecting more on how have I cooperate yeah. with the Holy Spirit. Right. Yes, yes. Not simply a confession, which is at the more level, even if we need it, but yeah. deeper than this, a cooperation to what did I do with the new life and therefore with the new talents that I've received? If we bury them and keep trying to live simply at the moral level, then we have buried the Holy Spirit. We have buried the talents. Well, that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. Right. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because this changes the way I approach confession because yeah. I don't want to keep people waiting and so you, you do your litany as yeah. well as you can. Yeah, 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 no, I agree, yeah, I don't have an answer, I mean, uh, time, yeah, yes, so, but, uh, you know, I don't know, and I don't want you to burn me, but sometimes it's better to have a deeper confession less often than a shallow confession every other day. Okay. Huh? My husband might be wanting to put me out the door to go to confession. But Very I, good. I'll just tell him what you just said, Father. Oh, no, 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 no. I knew there would be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah? Me? Yeah? I just want to see if I understood what you said about that now that Jesus is with the Father. Yeah. That he will be with us constantly mm -hmm. with his spirit. And the Holy Spirit? Yeah, like, he's there, body and soul. And constantly sending us the Holy Spirit. His heart is constantly wounded, alive, letter to the Hebrews, constantly presenting the marks of his passion for this constant response of the Father in sending us the Holy Spirit. But it is his Spirit and the Holy Spirit? No, 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 no. He sends us the person of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yes. And just by curiosity, since I did what you said about reading John 13, 14, 15, mm -hmm. and in that dialogue that he's having with the Father most of the time, mm -hmm. he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit at all. Is that a reason? Well, he, sp he speaks a lot of the Paraclete during the Last Supper. Yeah, he's saying, you know, when I leave, I will send. But then when he's talking to the Father... Ah, yeah, in his prayer in chapter 17, yeah, he doesn't yeah. explicitly, yeah. But he does. Father, glorify me so that I can glorify you. The mystery of glory is the mystery of the Holy Spirit, fruitfulness that he desires to receive in his humanity. Well, yeah, no? Yeah. Right? Yes, I mean, meaning body and soul are totally transformed by the glory of the Holy Trinity. Heaven is not a place. Huh? For Christ, heaven is to be in the bosom of the Father. For us, heaven is to be in the heart of Jesus. Where are you going to spend your whole eternal life in the heart of Christ glorified? 